Good morning, Chapel Street. And good morning to Chapel Street online and good morning to any visitors here. Now, today's reading starts in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, and goes through to Hebrews chapter 5 up to verse 10. Okay, and I'll be reading from the NIV. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honour on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for those who obey him and, are, and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Amen. Father, we come before you knowing that you are a God who has spoken in ages past and speak in the same way, in the same truth today for your son. And so, Lord, as we gather around now to hear your voice and your word, I pray that for each one of us, me especially, Lord, you would incline our hearts and our minds, our whole beings to you, that we would hear anew things we have heard of old and yet need to be reminded. And Lord, perhaps for some we might hear for the first time the beauty and the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, that you would open our eyes, let scales fall, and that we would behold the righteousness of God in Christ. Lord, please don't let us leave today without coming to know you or drawing closer to you through your word and your spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Good morning, Chapel Street. Morning to those online as well. And hello to those that will listen on the podcast uh, later on. It's my pleasure to be back in Hebrews. Uh, it's been a long while. I don't even know when we were back in Hebrews, possibly in February, I think. So we're almost in June. So it's been a while. Um, so I probably need to remind you a little bit of where we were at. And if you were really astute, you will have noticed we're in the same passage that we were in last time. But fortunately, we're not going to do the same message. And last time we were considering how it was that we should hold fast to our confession because the Lord Jesus Christ is the great high priest. And all that that meant in terms of where he stands and the sacrifice that he makes for our sins, that we might know God and be brought to him peacefully. But this time, I want us to consider something else that's extremely rich in this passage in relation to our confession and faith. And that is that we need help in times of need. Do you agree? We need help. When we're in need, we need help. That's the time that we need it because everybody needs help. And when it says help in time or a time of need is the place that we get help, it's referring to suffering. And the church, like the rest of the world, is not immune to suffering. We've been praying for some people that are suffering already this morning. And just in the prayer night this week, 7 p.m. Wednesday, in case you, you feel inclined to come and encourage Dave and, and the others that lead there, uh, one man said that many people are hurting in this church and, and elsewhere. People hurt. They have issues. They have things that weigh them down and uh, beleaguer them in their lives. And so we should pray for them. Maybe think about this passage and needing help in need. And the world hurts in the same ways as us. Without Christ, without hope, and yet uh, it seeks help, doesn't it? The world seeks help, and there is provision by way of helping people. And one of the biggest ways right now is the so-called self-help community. The idea that somehow you can help yourself, and it's probably true to some extent that we do need to do things to help ourselves. But there is a great promise given in this self-help uh, world, community, that is a lie. And I thought it would be interesting to have a look at the top list of best-selling books in the self-help world. And I got this from Amazon. Figure they know a bit about what sells in the way of books. And these are some of the, the top ones. This is the number one. The book is called Think and Grow Rich. Think and Grow Rich. The idea that somehow being rich monetarily is going to supply your needs. When you're in a time of need, you will have money, and so you can escape the peril of the need that you have. This is one of my favorites on the list. The top 10 things that dead people want to tell you. It's about living the full life. 
making the most of the time that you have. Well, this is a book that has got one thing to tell you, right? That dead people would want to tell you. That it's true. <laughs> that there is a God. That he does love you. That he did die for you. The next one was the chakra path to change. Somehow you need to connect with chakras and the kind of yoga and the, the new age kind of thinking. And that will sort all your problems out. The playful mind, how to restore the happiness we experienced as children. Well, if you knew my parents and perhaps yours as well, I don't know. That may not be the case. We need to be men and women now. We're mature in age, not children. And the last one that I noticed was this one. A course in self-care. Heal your body your mind, your soul, through self-love. What a terrible lie. Love yourself. Don't love the world. Because if you love yourself, you fulfill your needs. Because you'll give yourself what you need. <laughs> At least what you want. And that's the nature, by the way, of sin, isn't it? The love of self. It's the very nature of sin. The world is full of courses. It's full of communities to help in time of need, meditation centers, healing centers, therapists everywhere, counselors, psychologists abundantly, and I'm not suggesting some of those things aren't good, by the way. Some of them aren't, I'll be honest. But the problem is they don't fix the underlying condition. Somebody showed me a YouTube clip some time ago of some men that thought it would be helpful to help somebody in their time of need, and they chose a homeless man who no doubt had been on the streets for many years, had nothing, had long hair, long beard, everything was matted together, and his clothes were falling apart. And their ambition was to help this man in his time of need, and so they took him off the streets and had his hair cut and they had his beard shaved off and got him all smelling nice, I guess, and clean, and they put a new suit on his back and gave him some money and fed him. And after a while, he looked great. But after another while, he went back to the streets, to his former life, because you can change the outer thing, but if you change the inner thing and find out what's really going on in someone's life, in their heart, in their suffering, then you won't really change anything at all. The world is full of ideas like that and attempts to help people in their time of need. But we have a great high priest who helps us in our time of need. We're not immune, as I've said already, to suffering, to times of need, and we might have them for a season. We might not have them for a season. But I guarantee you we'll have them. And for some, it's a long season. For some people, times of suffering go on and on and on until the end. The persecuted church. We don't want that. One of the things they often ask is don't pray for us to be taken out of persecution. That's amazing. Because their faith is being grown. The high priest the great high priest is helping them. And we are weak, aren't we, in resolving our own problems and giving ourselves self-help 
to that extent that it actually gets to the underlying problems that we have. You might be someone who's been broken by bad experiences in your life, and your need is freedom from the sins of others. You might be suffering from the weight of ongoing sin in your own life, and your need is freedom from your sins. We call that forgiveness, don't we? Grace. You might have suffered loss of all kinds of things through tragedy and death. I, you know, very conscious of Dave and Bryony this week. They've lost the son that they thought was theirs. He's been taken away. And it's God's will, but it must be terribly painful. Others have lost sons through death. We've lost fathers and husbands. Your need is comfort and reassurance in your grief. You might be someone who's feeling lonely or isolated. And your need is real fellowship, koinonia, real friends, real companionship. And you might be suffering now, perhaps mentally, fear, anxiety, depression. And your need is for confidence in the future. Amen? Confidence in the future. If you choose the world for help, you won't get it. But if you choose the word, Jesus Christ, the word of God, then you will get it. It might be hard, but you will get it. Because the good news is that the great high priest will give mercy and grace to those in their time of need. So I just want to dwell in two parts of this scripture this morning. I want us to consider again what it might mean for us, where we're at, where our struggles and trials are at. And then we'll move to an application. So Hebrews chapter 4, if you'll turn with me back to verse 14. Thank you, Anita, for reading uh, for us this morning. The text says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let's hold fast our confession. Let's hang on to our faith, that's what it means. For we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize or empathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need the first thing i want us to know is that jesus is appointed as a great high priest to do many things ultimately to bring the sacrifice and ultimately he's the sacrifice that he brings but he's also appointed to help us and his ongoing work now, right now, today, this instant, and so on through the rest of our time. He's appointed to help. Why? Because he's qualified to do this. He's qualified to do it because of who he is. He's the son of God. He's paid the price. He owns the debt, as it were. He owns the outcome of the sacrifice. Freedom from sin. Eternal life. He's qualified because he isn't a sinner. 
been tempted in every way, but he isn't a sinner. And because he's able, and because he's willing, he's qualified, he's able, and he's willing. He's able to sympathize because he was a man, just like the high priests were able to sympathize because they were just men. And they offered sacrifices for their sin, and then they offered the, the sacrifices for the sin of the people. Jesus is a man. He's also able because he's all-powerful. And if I say to you, what way is he all-powerful? You might go to miracles. That's a demonstration of some of his power, isn't it? To raise people from the dead, to bring sight to the blind, to make the lame leap with joy. And that will be true. But I want you to think of something a bit bigger in terms of power. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things that were made were made through him. And John then says, nothing that's been made has been made without him. Everything that was made was made by God. The creation was made by the creator. There was nothing, and then there was a universe. Is there a greater power than that? I can't even make a pottery pot. Is that what you do with pottery? You make a pot, don't you? That makes sense. I can't even do that properly. Yet God spoke and the cosmos existed. That's power. So he's able because he's all-powerful. He's able because his power indicates that he has all authority. And he says so at the end of Matthew. He's commissioning the saints to go and make disciples. And he says, all authority has been given to me under heaven and earth. I've got it. It's mine. Why? Because he's God. <laughs> because he's without sin. Because he's fulfilled the law. Because he's upheld the righteousness of the Father. And he's all powerful. But he's also, and this is beautiful, he's willing. He's willing to help you. Did you know that's his desire to help you? He is willing. You know why I know that? Because he came from the other end of the universe to be here with you. He became a man. This is the God who spoke and the, the world came into existence and he came here from the other end of the universe, so to speak, or actually beyond the universe. To die, to save you. So he's willing. It is his desire to love his bride, isn't it? It's his bride, the church. He loves the church. He's coming back for her. What does the apostle say in Galatians 2.20? I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and died for me. He loves his bride. He loves his church. And he is willing. It's so important. Jesus wants to help us in our time of need. It's his desire. So what kind of help does he bring? What help do we get from this Jesus? Well, it's colossal. 
We could spend hours looking at the help, but I've just got a few things I want to share with you. Obviously, first and foremost, he provides forgiving grace in the place of our sin. That's the biggest help you can get, right? The biggest need you have. He gives us enabling grace to continue in our weakness, to soldier on, to persevere, to endure and run, fix our eyes on Jesus. He gives us wisdom and guidance for each day. James starts that way. He doesn't get very far in the book of James when he says, if you lack wisdom, pray for it. <laughs> He'll give it to you. <laughs> and don't be fooled. He'll give it to you. Don't jump around like a, a, a boat tossed on the waves. Stick to the wisdom you're given. Because it's biblical. He gives us a knowledge and a knowing of Jesus. That is probably one of the greatest helps to continue or cause us to continue to, to persevere. You know, Second Peter tells us that he and his divine power has given us everything for godliness. Eternal life and godliness. I should read that properly. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Says it. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Now you might read that and think, well, it's just about knowing things in your head. I know there's a God. I know that Jesus is his son. I know that he walked on the earth. I know he died, went to the cross and died for the sin of the world. He was buried and he rose again. I know all of this stuff. Well, that's not what we're talking about here. Because you can have that kind of knowledge, but you can have a different kind of knowledge, which is about knowing someone. I have a knowledge of Sandy because I know her. Do you have a knowledge like that of Christ? Do you know him? Because you're in communion with him, Right? That's who you're praying to, the Father through the Son and the Holy Spirit. They're all at work in that prayer. And he gives us that knowledge. He gives us that ability to know. I don't know about you, but that's a comfort to me that I know Jesus. Knowing you, Jesus, there is no other way. He's given us his presence. He's here right now. His Spirit dwells within us who believe. Think of that for a second. He's here. Consider that. And lastly, he's given us his peace. My peace, I leave you. My peace, I give you. How does he do that? Through the cross. In me, it's going to be okay. In me, there is reconciliation. In me, there is forgiveness of sin, and you can have peace. Do you feel like you're in turmoil? It's going to be okay if you're in me. Peace. The day, he says, is enough worries of its own. So I leave you my peace. And they're just some of the ways that Jesus helps us in our time of need. But there's another way in this text that I think is so important for us. And that's that the Lord also gives us a model or a type or an example of how to get help, how to get access to those things that I've just spoken about and more. He gives us the model of 
reaching out for help, wasn't he? Because Jesus had a time of need. He wasn't immune to the slings and arrows of the world, right? The misfortunes of life, the pain. Do you think the Lord didn't feel anxiety? Read the text. Do you think he didn't feel tempted? Read the text. He didn't feel grief? Read the text. So jump back with me to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. He then says, in the days of his flesh, when Jesus was a man on the earth, in the days of his flesh, he offered up prayers. Did you hear that? And supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. He was a man in immense need. Probably, really, when you think about it, the greatest need any man has been in. Son of God dying for the sin of the world. I just want to consider three kind of areas around that text for us to think about, and we'll move to a conclusion and application for us. Firstly, Jesus reached out through prayers and supplications. Now, supplication simply means asking for help in a time of need. You have a need, you ask for help. Others have a need, you ask for their for help for them. That's what God will supplicate, will supply the needs that people need. And listen, Jesus was a man who prayed. In the Gospels alone, we've got the recordings of just 25 big prayers to his father. And in one sense, he continually communed with his father, no matter where it was. He got up early in the morning, so early that when the disciples got up, they didn't know where he'd gone. And he went up to the hill on his own and he prayed. He asked, he made supplications to his father, from his father. Communed continually when he was in amongst the people. He prayed. When he was in the temple, he prayed. He prayed for himself. He prayed for his needs, which were enormous. He prayed for perseverance, for strength, and he prayed for others. Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat, but take heart. I prayed for you. I prayed for you, Simon. Do you know what? He's also prayed for you. That's what the gospel tells us, John's gospel. Jesus prays. That's this huge prayer to the Father towards the end of John, where he prays for the disciples' faith. He knows what's coming, right? He's going to go to the cross. He's going to die. They're going to be scattered and terrified and confused and just not understanding what's going on. And he prays for them. And then he says, but Father, I don't pray for just these, <laughs> but for those that would come after. That's you. That's me. Name by name. Think about that. Dorothy, Simon, Ken, Lydia. He's prayed for you. He's prayed for me. He's a prayer. He made prayers and supplications. Second point, he prayed and made supplications. Did you see it in the text? With loud cries and tears 
meaning literally expressed his emotions, right? Isn't that where tears come from? Tears of joy and tears of sorrow come from emotions, how we feel, who we really are, how wretched ourselves, our states, our states really are. Honestly and sincerely with loud cries. You know, I think back to John 11 where Lazarus, the friend of Jesus, has died and Jesus has deliberately waited for him to die so that people could see something of the glory of the Father. And he comes and Mary and Martha interact with him. He meets Mary on the road, I think, and Martha in the house. And everybody's crying. Everybody's sorrowful. A good friend has died prematurely. Everybody dies prematurely, right? And he weeps. Now that, that's his response to the grief of others. He feels sorrow in his own heart. But he also weeps because he has a real understanding of the enormity of sin, which gives rise to death. feels the heaviness of that. And he weeps and he cries out to the Father, and he knows that what he's going to do is glorify the Father. And so he, he says to the Father, thank you for hearing me. I know you always hear me. But I said these things so that these people would see something of your glory. You know what happens next? Roll back the stone. Lazarus, come forward. He gives thanks to God. Like loud cries. Can you think of another place where you hear loud cries? How about the Garden of Gethsemane? Yeah. Father, you know, in Mark's gospel, in the, in, in the other gospels, the word that's used there is the Greek, and the word is pater, where we get the word patriarch from. But in Mark's gospel, he uses the Aramaic word, Abba. Abba. You know what that means? Daddy. It's a a personal father father if you're willing remove this cup from me nevertheless not my will but yours be done and you know what luke says then we get blood sweat and tears that's where that phrase comes from blood sweat and tears crying out weeping tears for the heaviness of the situation in his time of need. So he prayed, supplications, he was emotionally honest. And lastly, from our passage, I don't know if you noticed it, he was heard because of his reverence. Literally, he came to God in prayer in a way that recognized his own helpless situation, his own honest need for salvation, if you will. And he did it with cries, and he recognized the holiness of God. He's about to take on the sin of the world, the antithesis of the holiness of God, right? He was humble, he was broken, he was reverent, and he feared God. The word that's used there is eulabea. Literally, that word means dread, fear, anxiety. And we take the word reverence, and it just sounds a little bit kind of, yeah, kind of nice. It's not so profound but it, dread anxiety fear fear 
You know, sometimes I think we come to God in prayer and a little bit too lighthearted. We should be thankful. We should be praising God. We should be adoring God. But if we go into a prayer like that when we need to confess our sin, what's our heart really like? We should really recognize that we're coming into, as it were, the Holy of Holies. Well, the presence of God. We should fear him. Because we ain't holy. And without the blood of Christ, one day we'll stand in the presence of God and we'll be condemned. Think about whether you're a Christian. Fear God. And obey his commands. It's the end of, of um, Ecclesiastes. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Isn't that beautiful? Now, God doesn't hear people that aren't fearful of him and reverent towards him because they're really not in touch with who he is. If you're in touch with who he is, then you will come with genuine reverence and the Father will hear you. Lord, folks, that's the, the way that the Lord has given us to access this help that the great high priest gives us in our times of need. That's the method that we need to employ to get access to this help in our time of need. So my question then is how about you? How about us? What time of need are you in? I know some of you are suffering. Perhaps all of us are suffering, but I know some of your sufferings, you know, some of mine as well. What does our time of need look like? Just reflect in your own lives for a moment. Just pause. Just pause and think. God's ordained all of these things. He has to grow you, to give you the help that you need to sanctify you. Just think for a moment about your suffering, your condition. What does your time of need look like? What does it feel like? Well, let me ask you, what does your time of prayer look like? What does your time of prayer look like? Is it a shopping list? Of things that you want, even good things. And you're treating the Lord Jesus like a divine waiter, calling him down. Hey, could I have this happen? Would you make this happen for me this week? Would you help me in this way that's good for me? Or is your prayer life full of loud cries, <laughs> supplications, of fear? and of reverence for the things you need, not the things you necessarily want. It's okay to pray to get out of suffering. Don't get me wrong here. It's okay to pray that. What is your prayer life like? Have you learned to cry out? It's one of the problems with the Western uh, society is that we're not great at crying out. The honest situation is if you get enough pain, you'll cry out, won't you? That's what happens. You know, at the Bible study this week, a lady who's not part of our congregation here uh, was expressing the pain that she has for two of her sons who are extremely wayward and caught up in terrible, terrible sin. And the 
desire that she had, the overwhelming desire, beautiful desire to love them in spite of their sins. Sound familiar? Hmm? And she cried. She started to weep in front of us all. And she apologized for crying. Isn't that sad? Our community and our culture <laughs> thinks that there's something wrong with crying out with tears. There's nothing wrong with them. Jesus Christ did it. And we said to her, hey, it's good that you cry. Because your heart's open, right? You're humble. You're, you're broken before God. So cry out. No need to apologize for tears. Uh, last Sunday, uh, Jared and Lucy and the, the wee ones came for lunch. And that's always a blessing. And uh, Edmund, pay attention. Thank you. Ed, he's paying attention. Look at him. Bless him. Um, did that thing a lot of kids do when there's a, a pet in the household. And in the case of this pet, it was Kitty, one of the cats, and uh, chased her around. And, you know, just intrigued by her. And you, I don't know about you, but I always have that thought in my head, any moment now, right, any moment now, there's going to be tears. The cat's going to get poked in the eye, or the tail's going to get pulled, or it's going to get swung about, or whatever, and eventually cats lose their patience, and it's pretty scary. And sure enough, there were tears. There was a cry. There was a scream. And there were tears flowing. And you know what happened? Edmund ran. Where to? The arms of his Abba. He ran to the arms of his father. It's not bad crying. A man, a big man, a strong man on Wednesday night wept as he prayed really moved me. He's praying for the sin of Armadale. He's praying for the souls that don't know Christ. He wept. His heart was opened and had a profound effect on me. And so it should. I can feel tears rising as I'm preaching here. I want to encourage you to do the same, not in a false way, but in an honest way. Come to Christ. Tell him who you really are. Tell him what you're really struggling with. Confess these things to him. Beg him for help. Beg him for mercy because he will hear you. Sometimes we pray and we think there's nothing going on. We don't always get answers the way we want, but God always answers if you fear him, if you're honest. You know, we come to church or a Bible study or another setting where we're around people and often we create perfect prayers, right? With all the right theology. Oh, you know, we've got to get a bit of this type of theology doctrine in here. We've got to get that right and not say the wrong thing. I was praying with, uh, with Sandy, I'll tell the truth, <laughs> a few weeks ago in the morning after our quiet time and uh, she was praying and wasn't quite sure I agreed with uh, what she was saying and I interrupted her and she was rightly a little bit perturbed and not, not a little angry with me and she said, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to God. Put me in my place. Come to your Abba. That's where Jesus went. Come to your real father, not your earthly father, your spiritual heavenly father. You're a new creation. 
you're adopted into a new family. You're not really part of the old fleshly family, although you are related. In that sense, most people, it seems, are related in this family, in this congregation, right? Come to your daddy. His arms are open wide. Come to the altar. Come to the throne of grace in your time of need. To the Father, be reverent. I guarantee you, if you're reverent, I guarantee you, he will hear you because he loves you. If you're not a Christian today, perhaps you think you're a Christian and you're not. It's a very perilous situation. But reflect. I'm, I'm asking you to reflect on your life where you really are. And perhaps you know you're not a Christian. Perhaps you know you're pretending or you just don't want to have a bar of it. But they're the most honest people I know, right? But if you're not a Christian, consider then what your greatest need is. Because one day you will be in the time of your greatest need. And that time is when you leave this place. And you are, as it were, presented before this holy God that you've had no reverence for, no fear for, and maybe haven't cried to for help. And you will see your greatest need then is to have your sins paid for. But it's too late. That need is here now, right now. Today, says the Bible, today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, today. Tomorrow may never come. You might see the Lord Jesus Christ and be found wanting. That is your greatest need. Consider your greatest need. Consider the one and only great high priest, the one and only great savior. Don't go to self-help. Go to God's help. Because the greatest crying out, the greatest tears that there are in Christ are on the cross, aren't they? Aren't they on the cross? Isn't that where he cries out and bellows? It says with a loud cry. Wasn't a little whimper. Christ is dying for the sin of the world. He's on the cross and all the sin of the world has been imputed to him. The one who was tempted, the one who felt pain, sorrow, suffering, grief is suddenly, as it were, laden down with the sin of the world. And he cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? And it's as if the father turns to him and says, I've forsaken you because you are laden with sin. The sin of the world, and I have to judge you for that because sin needs to be paid. There is a price, and it's you, my son. You know what the Lord says then in a loud voice? Forgive them, Father. Daddy, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They're killing the son of life and righteousness. Forgive them, Lord. Punish me, but forgive them. That's the gospel. 
And then the third thing that he cries out on the cross is finished. It's done. It's finished. It's complete. It's fulfilled. The payment's been made. That's what he means. Once for all. You know what happens next? He dies. But he dies trusting the Father who can save him. We need to die, isn't it? We need to die trusting the Father who can and will save us in Christ Jesus, the one that we've cried out to in our lives, the one that we fear, the one that we know. He cried out, Abba, Father, why have you forsaken me? Forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. It's finished. And three days later, his stone was rolled away from the tomb and he breathed life again. Think of that. A dead corpse suddenly breathing in and living again and standing. That's why he's worthy of all our praise. The biggest viewpoint that we can have, Jesus crying out on the cross to his own father for the sin of the world that he's dying for, and listen, if you want to know how to get saved, because that's what we're on about in Christianity, it's a central message, the gospel, Christ died for the sin of the world. Don't stand here or don't sit here rather and think that you're not a sinner. It wouldn't take long for us to prove that to one another. He dies for that sin, pays the price. He stands in your place, whatever, however you want to say it. He makes full payment. He's raised back to life. For being in the tomb for three night for three days. How do you get saved? Just by knowing that? Is that how you get saved? There's plenty of people know Satan knows that. Satan saw it at the spiritual level as well as the physical level. Is that how you get saved? By knowing stuff? No. You get saved by learning. To cry out. And one speaker put it like this. It's something I heard years ago and it's never left me. An example of how we get saved in the face of the gospel, in the face of the truth and reality of the cross. He said, imagine you wake up in your house in the middle of the night and it's on fire. And your room is filled with smoke and it's hot because there are flames in the house everywhere. And you manage to sort of stumble out of bed and you get down low, right? That's what you're told to do. You get down low where the because the, the, the smoke goes high and then gradually it fills up and it comes down. So you might have this little bit at the bottom where you can breathe. You can't breathe in smoke fumes. They, they kill you. And you crawl along the floor with flames coming behind you and the smoke billowing. Just consider the fear of that. It's no accident that it's fire, is it? <laughs> In this little analogy, and off you go down the corridor to the door, which is locked. Because when you go to bed at night, you lock the door, don't you? And there stands on the other side of the door, a man saying, open the door, open the door, use your self-help, open the door, I'll come in and save you. And you reach up, but you can't get to that door is locked. What do you do? cry out, don't you? 
me. Save me. I can't open the door. And I tell you, Jesus stands on the other side of the door. And when he hears you say that, takes the door off its hinges, reaches in and grabs you and saves you. We need to learn to cry out. Tears, desperation, mercy, because we are in a perilous situation. That's how you get saved. And then you start the walk. And your times of trouble, your need from Christ will come. And that great high priest, he's there ready to help. Because he loves you. Cry out. Cry out. Cry out. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, Lord. Um, Father, we do indeed want to know what it means to cry out to you. Father, if we're honest, our prayer life so often is a shopping list and um, things that we think we need and things that we do, Lord. Help us, Lord, to approach the throne of grace through the great high priest, through the example that he's given us to cry out, to beg for mercy, knowing that you give it, knowing that ultimately there will be freedom from this world and all the suffering that we have to endure for a time. The apostle says that he believes that the suffering of this world doesn't compare to the eternal weight of glory that there is in Christ Jesus, which is ready to be revealed, O oh Lord. One day we will come to that place and I pray that each one of us here, there wouldn't be one here who doesn't know you in the real sense, the real communing sense, because he or she has not cried out. Father, would you do this work in us? Would you also charge us, Lord, assist us again to proclaim the gospel message to those that don't know. And Lord, we do indeed thank you for calling us and saving us. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.